Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But, she, he, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then he came, she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, but yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I'm not sure that this is working. bit of a plug there. Let's see what happens there. There we go. Perfect. All right. I'd like for us to discuss this uh, passage this morning and really think about it together. Um, One of the things we notice as we look through here, Jesus going to the region of Tyre and Sidon, if you look in your map, it's up in the northern region. This was Gentile country, so a woman of Canaan coming to see him is not an absurd thing. In fact, uh, it's actually rather rare at that time that there, you know, there weren't many Canaanite peoples left. We learned from Mark's gospel that she's a Syrophoenician woman by nationality and uh, I guess you'd say from her people. But she comes and she cries out to him. And she doesn't immediately say, do this for me. She says, have mercy. And uh, one of the things we note about this are just some interesting ways that Jesus approaches this. And the the ways that Jesus really initially does not engage with her. He doesn't say anything to her initially. The statement made here uh, in verse 23 to send her away for she cries out after us I don't believe that was dismissive of the disciples because if you look at the Greek really what they're saying is go ahead and take care of her business and just be be done with her is essentially the the meaning or the thought that is coming across there and even in terms of what we see Jesus doing and saying in this it's going to challenge us And I'd like for us to consider some lessons that we can learn here, not just from Jesus, but from this woman. What happens when someone injures our pride or our feeling about ourselves? You know, we we like to have a positive view of ourselves. We want to think of ourselves in positive lights. Sometimes when we hear criticism or we get some sort of criticism, uh, maybe we're... uh, really tempted to push it aside or to really be hostile against it. I think there are some pitfalls that pride leads us into. And you might look at this passage and say, well, what does pride have to do with this? This woman is anything but prideful. And that's precisely my point. There's a lot we can learn from this woman. And as we look together, maybe we can uh, encourage each other in these things as we try to avoid these pitfalls. First of all, I think one of the things we see is that pride keeps us from seeking Jesus, and pride also keeps us from seeing 
Jesus. As I said, he asks her for mercy. She asks him for mercy, excuse me. If we want healing, we have to seek God, right? If I want my life to be healed and righteous before God, I have to seek Jesus. In Psalm 10 and verse 4, the statement is made, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. So the proud man, he's focusing on himself. He's established in himself. He's not going to reach out for God. He has no need for God because he's already established everything on his own. Pride keeps us from knowing that we need him. We think we can fix all of our problems without him. And this is the influence of the adversary. This is the influence of the world telling us that we don't need to seek him out. We don't need to seek his mercy. We'll, we'll stick it out on our own. Just grit and bear it and push through. But that's not the truth of life. We often face times where we have to seek outside help, right? We have to go to our doctor. We have to take medication from time to time. But in our core, spiritually, in our life, we know that the only one to protect and help us is Jesus. You know, maybe we're having a family crisis. Well, the world says don't pray to God, just suffer through it. Or maybe just abandon that family, right? Just kind of shut that door. Well, I don't need these toxic people in my life, right? I think there's a point where those boundaries come come into play. I'm not going to keep pushing for a relationship that the other person doesn't want to have. But we don't just leave everything and never try again. Uh, problems at work, problems in career. The world is going to say, don't listen to God. Just, just fix it by fighting them or hurt them like they hurt you. Uh, that, that's not the way that God works, though. The worst thing that often happens is that we will uh, deny that we have sin or we will misuse God's grace. When we believe we're doing well and think we have no need for God, then we're abandoning God's mercy. We don't, we don't need God's grace. But then when we think that we can't do well, we think there's no way that we can fix this. We'll push the boundaries of God's mercy outward for our own selfish desires and say, well, God's, just, God's grace is just going to take care of it, and I don't have to worry about it. No, we have to be thoughtful of these things. The Bible is telling us to be thoughtful. So she asks him, which is, again, a fascinating thing here. What does she call him? Son of David. This is a Canaanite. This is a Gentile calling him son of David. And I don't know exactly why she's calling him that, but obviously she's using that term. Either she understands it or has some, some understanding of that because that's, that's another aspect of this. She sees Jesus to some degree, of how he is and who he is. We must recognize Jesus. This is is important to see that we need to see who Jesus is. Um, Look over at Matthew 21. Matthew 21, please. We ought to know it's easy for us to build up an idol in our minds, right? And uh, as we consider this passage, it kind of behooves us to think about this in terms of ourselves. Uh, Matthew 22 and verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? 
And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. So the Pharisees had the right answer, didn't they? They had the right information. But they had hearts that had been compromised. They had hearts that were not able to see Jesus as he truly is. This woman has somewhat the right information, and it seems that she has the right heart to seek him. So seeing and seeking, Jesus really is is wrapped up together, isn't it? Uh, We can blind ourselves to the true picture that Jesus wants to see of himself. Uh, Catholic imagery sometimes paints, or often, paints Jesus in a defeated way. You know, what do we have the Pope uh, carrying with him on his staff? Just this image of Jesus just, you know, bleeding on the cross. And I'm not against us thinking about our Lord on the cross. But that's not the whole of the Bible picture of who Jesus is. Look at uh, Isaiah. Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. See, the interesting thing here is that the Pharisees were not expecting a king that would allow himself to be sacrificed on a cross, right? They were were expecting the kind of king that we see here in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Think about that. That is not a defeated king. That is a conquering, victorious king. And let me say, we have to understand that that is who Jesus is. Not that he's not our king on the cross. We have to understand that it's both. Revelation 1. Revelation 1 shows us the picture of Jesus as the the one who has uh, overcome. And because, again, that's part of the message of the book. Overcome with me, Jesus says. He who overcomes, right? So in in, uh, Revelation 1 and verse 13, he turns around, John sees, it says, In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. This is our Messiah. And we need to remember, he is not just a defeated Messiah on a cross. That's what he had to endure. That's what he had to go through to accomplish what he did. But this is who he is now. And we need to appreciate that. Think about all the ways of Jesus' power, all the things that he can do, all the things that he can be. We need constant reminders of that. 
because we face a world that's going to bring us to this point where we're just as desperate feeling as this woman from the Syrophoenician region. Back in our text, this woman helps us understand that pride keeps us from admitting problems. She knows that she needs to seek help. And we have to be honest about our own shortcomings, don't we? And we need to remember that Christians are part of a great spiritual family. Sometimes we internalize our problems. We think that, well, uh, this is just my burden to bear. This is my thing to suffer with, and so I'm just going to suffer with it, and I'm not going to bother any, anyone about it. I don't want anybody to think that I'm weak, right? I don't want anybody to think that, that um, I'm not who I ought to be. You know, some people will say, well, if you've got problems, then obviously there's some kind of sin in your life. Well, that's not necessarily the case. It could be someone else's sin that's causing us trouble. But the whole point we want to recognize here is this woman knew she needed help. And she came to Jesus. There's a time for us to examine and contemplate for ourselves. I'm not saying we have to share every single thing that we're suffering with all the time to everybody. But... There's a great balance here where we need to remember that Christians are part of this family. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 tells us that you're not, he tells the Corinthians there, you're not withdrawn in yourselves, you're withdrawn within your inner parts. And he is, he's behooving them to, to be a part of their spiritual family. God does not want us to be walled off from our brothers and sisters. James 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask and miss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Do you ever, do you ever think about the fact that knowing that we need to seek help means that we need to know what we need help with? I need to be honest with myself and say, okay, this is where I'm deficient. This is where I need help. Because if I never consider that, if I never stop and think about what's wrong with me, what's some things that I need to work out in my life, if I'm never honest to myself about those things, I will never seek the healing that I need from Jesus. She knows. She knows that Jesus can help. She knows that he can help her. In Matthew 7, let's turn back there. Matthew 7, please. <clears throat> Matthew 7, and verse 7, passage that we've often read. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I pay attention to that phrase in verse 11, how much more? How much more? The good things that we see in this world, even among brethren, as wonderful as those expressions are, as wonderful as the good things that we can do for each other are, and I don't mean to talk down about those things, think about how much more God is helping us every single day. It all comes from Him. And everything that we see from each other is just simply a manifestation of that same love. 
That's, that's, that's the way that we need to see that. We need to know that Jesus is the one that's doing these things, that God is the one doing these things in the end. But when we're proud, we ally ourselves with others who are prideful. We become proud, and so we think, well, well you know, I, I'm, I'm getting help from maybe some, some friends. Maybe I've got a good group of friends that are outside of the church, and maybe I'm spending a lot of time with them. And we need to be careful with that. That's not wrong for me to have friends who are worldly, but I need to make sure that I don't become like them. I want them to become like Jesus. And I have to have that kind of influence upon them. Psalm 40 and verse 4, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. I think about that. I think there are people in this world that in their pride, they bluster about and just kind of say, well, this is, this is the way that we ought to do it, you know? And at the same time, maybe that's the right way. But I need to make sure that I'm doing the right thing because it's right, not just because someone told me to do it. Proverbs 15, 25, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. See, that is completely antithetic to the thoughts of the world. The world is saying you've got to go out there and you've got to grab what you can grab. You build up whatever you can build and you go, you fake it till you make it. <laughs> you know, that's one thing that, that I'm noticing in the, the new job that I have recently is this, this whole thought is like, you got to have confidence. You got to just, just do it, you know? And I, I agree with that thought of confidence. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to recognize from a spiritual perspective, right? Don't respect the proud. Don't think that someone has the keys to everything just because they're acting like they've got the keys to everything. Don't let a diatrophies allow us to go down a path just because that's the way they want us to go. Pride is going to come to nothing in the fullest extent of things. And it keeps us from admitting that there are problems. It keeps us from being persistent. This woman keeps on, even when Jesus says nothing. Have you ever tried to talk to someone and they don't even recognize you or you don't you know they can hear you (laughs) but they're not saying anything right well that's kind of what seems to be happening here and i I think we want to recognize uh, you know jesus's actions i think could have been misunderstood by this woman and i want to say plainly i don't believe that jesus is ignoring her because he doesn't care about her doesn't love her everything else that we learn about jesus in scripture tells us that's that's not the case but there's a whole big thing going on here, and we want to just keep, keep unpacking this as we talk about it. I think Jesus is testing her for a particular purpose. And, you know, this woman is more humble than many that we might think of today. Uh, maybe it seems like God's not saying anything to us. Have we ever thought that? We're praying to God. We're, we're begging him for help with a certain thing. And it just doesn't seem like that help is coming. And things keep going on and on. Uh, you know, we need to remember that God does hear us. That he doesn't ignore us. And we need to remember his promises. Luke 11. Luke chapter 11. A couple of passages that I think are so important for us to remember. Of course, chapter 18 deals with the judge, the unjust judge and the widow. And I think we've read that a lot. Uh, in terms, excuse me, in terms of how 
that persistence, even with someone who doesn't care about others, doesn't care about God, that will still lead to victory, right? And then again, with God, how much more if we're persistent with Him because He actually does love us. But in chapter 11 and verse 5, chapter 11 of Luke and verse 5, He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Let's be persistent with God. Let's make sure that we are continuing on those things. What is faith but persistence, right? If I believe that God is who he says he is, then even though things don't seem to be getting better, I'm still going to trust in him. And I'm still going to know that he's going to come through for me. Even if it's not in this life, then in the judgment day, he's going to sort it all out. When we give up on God, it means we don't have faith at all. And so we need to be careful about that. This woman also worships him. She worships him in her persistence. She's giving great appreciation for him, spending time in adoration of him. You think about it, worship is really an act of humility when you think about it. It's it's not a prideful activity if we're doing it properly. Uh, Look at Psalm 10. We're going to read the whole passage, but I want us to focus on one particular verse in there. Psalm 10. Psalm 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless might fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face, he will never see. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his hand. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Looking specifically 
at verse 17. You have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. Do we recognize how God is persistent? God is persistent with us. All the while, as far as we are resisting him, he still loves us and he cares for us and he wants us to come to him. And this woman in her worship is showing us that. Think about the things that we give up in humility to worship God. We give up our time. If we're supporting the local congregation, then we're giving up our money. If we're taking the time to go out and talk to people about you know, the, the work that we do with the North Columbus uh, Church of Christ, then we're taking effort and focus out of our life that really is spent in other places and careers and things like that. Uh, of course, we can even use our careers toward that, but we're taking some of our effort and our focus away from that, aren't we? And uh, in humility, we may even give up some friendships in order to worship God. It just depends on the situation. But think about what we're giving up. Think about what we're leaving behind. And uh, one might say, well, you know, why are we doing that? <laughs> are we just doing that just because of what we get out of the situation? Well, that's not entirely a bad motivation, right? Because we want to be saved with God forever. We want to be with him in eternity. That's the goal. I want to get to heaven. And I want as many people as, as can to get to heaven as well. And so I need to be willing to give up anything in order to do that, to, to, to give those things away. And of course, the, the main point, we're not doing this for our glory. We're doing it for his glory. That's the whole point that we come to. I'm not just doing it so that I get to heaven. I'm doing it also that God is glorified. And really, it's all the same thing. It's all the same, the same thing together. Psalm 18, 27, for you will save the humble people, but bring down haughty looks. Again, the pride will come to nothing. Pride keeps us from receiving blessings. Back in our reference passage, she is called a little dog. A little dog. Uh, the definition I found of that phrase, by the way, a house dog or a lap dog in contrast to a dog of the street or farm, but also used with no diminutive force at all. And so that helps us understand that Jesus is not using a derogatory term to talk to this woman. I think there is a sense that he is talking about the Gentiles as dogs in terms of their long history of paganism and things like that. So, okay, there's a sense with that. But the fact that it's a little dog, if you bring a little dog or a puppy into the house, even in those times, it would be carefully taken care of. And it would indeed receive the scraps from the table. And so... This woman, you know, think about this. Technically, this is not a truly offensive term in this usage. But even if Jesus wasn't intending to be critical of this woman or where she came from, I think we can find examples of inspired men that, that use terms that could be considered uh, 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 super critical, right? Uh, Paul writes in Titus 1, verse 12, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Paul is saying one of their own authors is saying this about them. And he's saying this is true. And so he's telling that to Titus so that that will help Titus to work on certain things with the people that are there. And so think about this. If we were to switch this woman with most anyone living today, this might be the point where most people will give up, right? Okay, you're gonna give, you're gonna call me a dog. Okay, I'm done. That's you know we're done for the for the day. Getting offended is you know really uh, happens quite a lot in our day and age. Uh, 
uh, you know, of course, people hate being offended, but it seems to be occurring more and more every day. But, you know, if we trust in God, it's going to take a lot to truly offend us. Um, in Proverbs 28, 25, he who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. If I trust in God and simply focus on the right things uh, and be humble, and, and again, this is not just a matter of choosing, well, I'm just going to be humble. It's a matter of choosing, I'm going to be like the Lord. And, or in this particular example, I'm going to be more like this woman, this Syrophoenician woman. It's a good example for me to emulate on these things. If I have a pride problem, okay, some, some brothers say, I've got a pride problem, I know I've got a pride problem. Okay, what are you working on? Manifest the change in those ways. Pride keeps us from seeing the truth about a situation, and sometimes we, it'll allow us to be offended to the point that we miss out on great blessings. But this woman does not take offense. Psalm 138.6, Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. You see, by, by accepting the label of the little dog, she is accepting the fact that she wants to be the one that God looks upon with care. He is on high, yet he regards the lowly. And you know what? That, that's where we need to want to be. We need to be, want to be a part of that. Not that we make ourselves, put ourselves in a worse situation just to affect that. But if I find myself offended, right, I need to think about, am I offended by wickedness or am I offended by the truth? And the more we hold on to our pride, the more we relive our offenses, the greater they'll become. Often people will treat their offenses as their best friends. They can't get along without them. They hold on to their hurt. They hold on to their victimhood. And that becomes something that identifies them. And because of this, bitterness destroys them. It destroys their thinking. It destroys their reason. It destroys their souls, really. And the fact is, they're the ones paying the highest price. Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, finally, pride keeps us from having faith. This woman has great faith. That's what Jesus is saying. Great is your faith, Jesus says. So what an example for us to emulate. What an example for us to look at in terms of pride, in terms of humility. Jesus emphasizes this woman's faith. And God often emphasizes the faith of Gentiles in Scripture. Uh, we won't turn to all of these, but I'm just thinking of a few passages. Uh, in 2 Kings 5, we have Naaman. In verse 15, he says, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. What's fascinating and incredible about this in terms of our lesson this morning is that Naaman initially was very prideful, wasn't he? But he understood eventually what needed to happen for him to be healed. In uh, Luke 7 and verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in, in Israel. That's the centurion who says, Lord, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not as great as you, but you know, we're similar. I'm a man of authority. I command people to do things, they do them. And he recognized that Jesus didn't have to go to his house to heal his servant. In Acts 10 and verse 4, uh, when Cornelius is called, 
It says there, uh, the angel says there, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God sees what you're doing. And he understands that this is a good thing. Hebrews 11:31. by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. The implied statement is Rahab believed. Rahab had faith. Why did God honor all these people? Was it because, uh, you know, well, you know, I'm just going to disrespect my people and not worry about them? No, because for Gentiles, they were accept- the exception to the rule. Those who were the rare case in these cases, the small amount. You think about this in terms of true humility and the reaction, excuse me, the re- relation to holiness that we have here. In many ways, it's a sense of being separate. It's a sense of being the exception. Most people are going to be puffed up with pride. Most people are going to say, well, you know, why can't we worship God this way? Most people are going to say, well, there's no, nothing wrong with it. God didn't say anything that, that there was something wrong with it. Most people are going to say, well, we need to be you know, doing all these things with church money. It's going to be the exception, the small in number, that is just simply humbly following the word and doing the right thing consistently all throughout their lives. Those are the ones, I think, that are going to be looked at there. Second Corinthians 12, 9, God says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, it's not about being impressive. Being a Christian is not about being impressive. It's about being faithful. That's the whole point. Learn humility. And we can be the exception, not the rule, just as this faithful woman was. The faith leads to her daughter's healing. You think about how great this outcome is. If she had not been humble, if she had been offended at Jesus' statement, if she had never approached Jesus, because who cares about this Jewish guy? She never would have had her daughter healed. Again, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility, Proverbs eighteen twelve. Pride leads us to nothing but ruin. Pride leads us to nothing but destruction. Humility leads us to honor and glory in the kingdom. So am I just going to act like, well, you know, this is just the way we got ought to go, and that's just, you know, just because I figured all this out? No, we trust in the Lord to show us these ways. And in humility, we share these things together. Psalm 149 and verse 4, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let me just state this very clearly. If I am not humble, I'm not a working part of his people. If I have a pride problem, if I have issues about my pride, and if I'm not willing to look at myself honestly and work on the things that are deficient in me, then I'm not a working part of his people. And he can't use me in the ways that will benefit me and others. Pride is part of our poison. (laughs) And pride will keep us from being faithful. This woman did not have that kind of pride. She had humility. Do we need to have self-confidence and, and, and appreciate ourselves? Sure, there, there are plenty of passages we look at with that, right? We certainly need to be confident in ourselves. We also need to be honest with ourselves and see where we are. 
This morning, if you recognize there's something you need to change, we encourage you to make that distinction now and think about what God wants in your life. Does God want you to just kind of say, well, you know, I've just decided that things are just going to be this way, my way or the highway? Or does God want you to be honest with yourself and look within yourself and say, okay, man, there's, there's some things I need to work on. We can help each other out with that. You know, just simply praying together can be so helpful. And so if there's anybody this morning who needs to respond to the gospel call, we encourage you to do so. We, we want to think about this as this is our step stool to eternity with God. And, and this is what we need to do right now. So if you're not a Christian, we encourage you to think about that. We'd be glad to help you. But regardless, whatever you need, please come forward while we stand and sing.